Ramache first requests us to place our minds in the noble disposition of bodhicitta with the intention of studying and practicing Dharma in order to bring all sentient beings throughout the infinity of space to the state of utterly perfect, totally pure and most precious enlightenment. And in our studies of uh, Dharma, we are presently looking at this text on Mahamudra called Pointing Out the Dharmakaya. And in that text, we're in the section dealing with the um, peaceful stability of the mind or shamatha. In the uh, last uh, explanation of the shamatha techniques, we were mainly looking at how to work with an external support in terms of uh, a small pebble or a piece of wood, some object to look at on the outside, and now we turn to an inner support for shamatha. <coughs> The being able to just let one's mind settle into a totally pure and natural state, into what is called a, a state beyond contrivance, beyond conceptual fabrication, is difficult for a beginner. And it's quite helpful to have some sort of focal point, some sort of um, anchor for the mind uh, in order to move towards such a, a state. Uh, 
When, uh, in order to provide some focal point for the mind, we use something that's not external and gross, but something which is internal and much more subtle, then we can do things like in the heart center, we uh, visualize uh, the form of uh, the Buddha, or one of the forms of the Buddha, or we can imagine visualize in the heart center seed syllables such as the letter A, the syllable A or the syllable Hung or else we can imagine small balls of colored light which are in the heart center. Whichever one of those objects it is doesn't matter too much because it's there mainly as an anchor or a focus for our awareness in order to help the mind to settle into something profound. When we use such a support, then we are not actually taking it as a focus of meditation in the sense of making clear all of its details. It's not like developing a visualization in other practices where, for instance, if it's the image of the Buddha, we would be looking at all of the special marks and signs and the way that each part of the body is disposed, uh, is set, not at all. Uh, Or if it's a seed syllable, we're not looking at actually how the letter is formed, how each part of the letter has its shape and connects with the next part. Or even if it's a a light sphere that we're, we're... Imagining in our heart center, we're not getting into the details of the color and the nature of that sphere. Whichever one it is, it is simply there. We just know it's there or assume it's there. And that becomes the focal point for our awareness, the anchor point. But any sort of thinking about it or exploring the details... Um, 
ตีจุจิลบุนดาวจิเชมิปาเจรอมะดันปาอืมลบุยงตีจุจิมาเนนินดาวจิมายงดินดาวจิมาเตนดาวผะเนตีจุเพนดาวจิโยเรเซียงย
of the head mound, of the eyes, or of the robes, and so on. And just by very quietly and gently focusing on those details um, with some precision, then this can help lift the mind out of the torpor. Or if it's a seed syllable, like the letter A or a Hung or whichever one it is, then we can study the shape very precisely, how each stroke of the letter curves and joins up with another stroke of the letter. This also should help. Or if it's a ball of light, we can uh, concentrate on the color and the shape and how it is. Also, if that mind has become very dull, then it's good to discipline the posture, to pull oneself up straight, to lift, lift up and pull up the head so that the posture is a very disciplined one. It sort of shakes one up, wakes one up. Mm-hmm. So those are the methods and these are the methods that take us to we should help take the meditation to where it's meant to be going which is to a state where the mind is more settled the mind is peaceful the mind stays with its um, object this is the very nature of shamatha this is what our work is taking us to a mind which is free from the power of thoughts it's no longer carried here and there by thoughts but it is at rest and peaceful and with its object Mm-hmm. 
Sometimes in the practice, our mind is very, very busy with thoughts. It's all over the place, and that's quite upsetting. It's quite distressing. And then also, not on account of the practice, but sometimes because of what's happening in our lives, uh, the circumstances with the people we live or work with, um, something's gone wrong, there's something that's very preoccupying, and our mind is busy with that or quite upset about something and can't stop thinking about it, and therefore you can't meditate, you can't achieve this shamatha where the mind is simply peacefully settled with its object, then there's also something that can be done that's quite helpful in such circumstances. And this is using the breath. And there, um, in the practice, when you breathe out, then you don't breathe back in straight away. As you breathe out, your breath is breathed out into space in front of you. And not only do you leave your sort of breath there without breathing in the next in-breath for a while, but also you let your awareness just stay with the space, just vacant space in front of you. It goes with the breath. So you breathe out and then you wait for uh, a while before breathing in. You don't wait until it's desperate and you have to breathe in, but you hold the breath out for some seconds and you keep your awareness with the open space in front of you where the breath has been exhaled and then you take in your next breath and when that breath is exhaled again you leave some seconds, some time and you let your awareness stay with open space in front and this can be very beneficial doing that quite a few times for uh, quite a sequence of breaths can settle the mind from that busyness, from that distress and help it come back to its focus. <laughs> Actually, Rinpoche says, in his own opinion, this is a very, very helpful meditation because we find that when the mind is either very busy or very distressed, in the way just described, then uh, actually, when that's happening, it's to do with a certain retention of the breath. We tend to be holding the breath when that happens. And the simple fact of uh, holding the breath out and at the same time while the breath is out focusing the mind on the emptiness, the voidness of just the space where the breath has gone. And the breath goes out and then one's just focused on the emptiness. One's not actually dissolving the problems into the emptiness. One is immediately just focused on the emptiness of the space. It's very, very helpful. Mm-hmm. 
ตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาตาต
peace which is totally away from the senses. If we were, it would be very easy to achieve. We just need to destroy our eyesight, destroy our hearing, destroy our nervous system so that we feel things. And then once the mind was free from sense inputs, we'd have achieved profound shamatha. It's obviously not what we're aiming for. We need to be able to find peaceful stability along with the sense inputs. We're not trying to shut off the senses. That's not possible. So then when there is something like the sound of the rain or noise or something visual, then we can also use that as the basis for practice. ตะนี้เนาะคาลาซาติโยรุชิโมโตโรมาเกปาลาซุปะโรโซจิโตตะนี้เรจายองโยปาเรลบอลาเตตายิงกอจิโตตะกะเรซอนาคาริคาซอน
as our new focus for meditation, as our new anchor point for settling the mind, then in this way our shamatha can expand and expand and be applied in more and more circumstances. So this means that whenever uh, our mind's awareness is operating through the visual uh, consciousness, then whatever we see can become whatever our, mind, our eyes are seeing and our mind is aware of, that can become the basis for practicing shamatha. Whenever our mind is aware through the hearing consciousness and there's a sound, that very sound can become the basis for settling our awareness, placing our awareness, uh, our shamatha with the sound. Whenever there is a smell, good or bad, that smell can become the focus for shamatha. Whenever there is flavor in the mouth and taste, then that flavor in the mouth can become the focus for shamatha. Whenever there's physical sensation, heat or cold or hunger or thirst or texture, then that can become the new focus for meditation. In that way, all of the data that's coming in through the senses can become the new anchor point for our shamatha and that way it spreads and spreads and we have so many opportunities for shamatha through throughout the day. ตะเปมิจิเชกอนะเปซาวดูโหเตซะกะเลคาวดูเตเฮยเมยเมจิเตโตจิตะนะนี่เสดินะโคเตโตจิซาดิตะลาคิปาเตยันริโบเตกอน
But of course, uh, when there is suffering, this is the time when we need the power of meditation. It's not the time when we need to lose meditation. On the contrary, when the mind is either in suffering or when it's in a state of happiness, these are also occasions for the development of meditation and for the development of um, shamatha. So uh, then uh, it's very helpful just to do something like that. It doesn't, there's no particular place, but it's quite convenient just to dig a nail into your hand like that and not to hurt yourself too much, uh, but so that there is a pain, there is discomfort, and we can learn how to, how shamatha can cope with that. Can, you can still be in a meditative state when the mind is either suffering and also when the mind is very joyous. Otherwise, what happens is that suffering carries us away. We lose focus. We lose meditation. Happiness carries us away. We lose focus. We lose meditation. In this way, as was described before, our shamatha practice expands into every area of life. ngola and what really benefits a shamatha is to uh, persist in the practice and to apply diligence to the practice, do as much of it as one possibly can, and then this uh, produces the results. And one thing that the meditators in our tradition have um, often done, which is very helpful uh, for diligence in practice, is to place something, balance something on top of the head. And then uh, there are various objects you can put. Uh, in the past it's been, sometimes it, it can be even uh, butter lamps or a bowl of water that you put on the head. And then of course whenever you start to lose the posture or you slump or you start to fall asleep, then it falls off, it falls in your lap, and you realize that you're um, wandering away. It's a very good way of having a very focused, diligent meditation uh, practice. And um, it's something, for instance, in our own tradition, the great master 
Gampapa could sit for 12 days non-stop with something balanced on the head like that. And uh, it's, uh, it's a practice that's um, currently used. Rinpoche himself, when he was, he says around, I forget what he said, it's around 20, 19, 20, 21, I forget, but around that time, he said uh, he really set himself to diligence in meditation in this way. And for more than a year, a year and a few months, he didn't see anybody but meditated very strictly uh, like that. And it's very, it's very beneficial to have such um, diligence because with that diligence and uh, one-pointed application, then some uh, results and benefit come out of the uh, practice ตีตัวตาละคิปะเตกองเฮนีกองกันเนี่ยเปยอปุดุมาตันติเสญุเฮนันเดลาชอกงงจิโอติเสกันเดกันนะตันตะเตตุจิงเกนะคุชมาปอง
গাও ফু বিকাশ ফা দেবো ছো লগে গাওয়াবি ছো তিনটি আপুছি গা Regular people, uh, the, the technical term in Buddhism is ordinary beings. We are ordinary beings. It's a term that distinguishes us from realized beings, Aryas. So we are ordinary beings. All ordinary beings have their ups and their downs. It's the impermanent nature of our minds. Sometimes we're happy, sometimes we're unhappy. That's very, very normal. We are regular beings. It's the most normal thing that our minds go up and down. And it's very useful to be able to accept that as a fact. That's how we are. That's what happens. And it's the same with meditation. Sometimes the meditation works just as it ought to. Sometimes not at all. Sometimes it's working well. Sometimes it's working poorly. This is very normal. And it's very useful to be able to accept that as normal. When the meditation is going well, and that makes us feel comfortable, and then when the meditation is not going well, and we feel very disturbed and upset because it's not working, if we can accept that, then the distress and the joy that comes along with the impermanent experience of meditation as it goes up and down, that will gradually disappear into a state of um, calmly joyful acceptance of the impermanent nature of all experience and of meditation experience. So it's very helpful. Tandor tu dhugana yinila yu ta sen. ลุนีจินันดารุวายอจิตะยิยอเสนีตะซาวะนิโหปะเรซาวะจิตะกะเรเรจินะตะชิงโหปะละกองเจจิตะตงซาวะจิตะตะติริเกจิกะนุนลา
then whatever is happening through the sense doors, what's seen, heard, smelt, tasted, did or touched, that also can become the focus for letting the mind settle naturally uh, with it. And apart from that, then once we develop shamatha into all of the different possibilities of focus, then we get very many indeed. We get the various um, uses of the breath, the ways of looking at space and using space or the, the sky or distant sky and space uh, as a focus, and so on and so forth. There are many details, but the essence of it um, is that. Yo when we are actually doing the practice, there are two main sorts of um, obstacle we encounter. Of course, there are many things which are uh, obstacles in the sense of things which stop us from having a, a very successful and effective settling of the mind. But there are two main ones. Um, one is that for those people who don't have a lot of time to meditate, those people who only have, say, a 15-minute meditation spot, there the main obstacle to having a settled mind will be many thoughts, a very busy mind, lots of mental activity, lots of thoughts. And uh, that will be what's stopping the mind in that short meditation period from settling as it should do, settling clearly and naturally with its focus. The other main obstacle, on the contrary, is for those who have a lot of time to meditate, who can meditate for one, two, three hours in a session. Then the main obstacle uh, can very often become sleepiness, dullness of the mind, uh, torpor, uh, this sort of thing. Ta 
These uh, two main obstacles will will happen. And as Rimti just said, the we are ordinary beings and there'll always be ups and downs in our practice, sometimes when it goes well, sometimes when it doesn't go so well. And then these two particular main obstacles will probably be predominant features in uh, in the practice if they're uh, short sessions or long sessions. And uh, the way to overcome them, the way to uh, vanquish these two sorts of obstacles um, is what was explained yesterday. Uh, it's to Rinpoche's own mind, uh, the king of obstacle dispellers, for both those types of obstacles, a very, very, very effective means of practice. And this is to meditate in very short but high-quality bursts, as he explained, uh, with three, four, maximum five minutes only but in those five minutes or those three minutes there is uh, the very finest focus and then a little break and then do it again as was explained before. This is so effective in developing good um, shamatha and it's also effective in overcoming the power of great busyness and thoughts if that's the obstacle. It's also effective in overcoming the sort of torpor and sleepiness if you do have several hours of practice, then those several hours can be broken up into these short but high-quality bursts of meditation. You Dala, 
ペネタタイノーギョンダツオパチオナタンデリトンデナヤポデメレテリナコロンネリシェイガナパンジェポラヤポチョアロレテンデリデラパトナンデツオパトントンマンデタマトナタチェポホラジオバレテンダウチノ
in our mind. It can cover up the defilements, the negativity, uh, you know, the anger, the passions, all the other things. They can be very, very well smoothed over by shamatha. And Rinpoche was making the example on the table here. You've got this red painted table and there's a golden katak on it. So he was saying, if you've got the red table, then you can put this beautiful golden katak over the top and then all you see is the beautiful golden katak. looks very nice. You don't see the sort of rough red that's underneath it. So in that way, when our mind is troubled or disturbed, we can settle it in meditation and then we're in a relatively peaceful state and we can hone that and develop it over time but it will never take away from the depths of our mind our angers, our passions, our jealousy and all of those um, defilements. So then when he peels back the katak and he says once the katak's not there then nothing underneath has changed. Once the provisional power of this um, peaceful stability based on a focus is taken away, then what was always there in our mind stream in terms of those underlying negativities will still be there. And so if on the contrary, rather than covering up the table with a nice katak, a nice cloth, if you polish that surface itself, then you don't need to cover it up with something to make it beautiful. Is beautiful in itself. So if we can actually somehow work on those problems deep within the mind, what the things that need to go in themselves, then there is no need to have this uh, state of peace which takes us away from them or for the time being covers them up. This way of dealing with the uh, root of what's in the mind comes through insight meditation or vipassana and this deep insight is really the most important thing. It's what um, brings us the ultimate siddhis as well as the temporary siddhis. It's what brings the ultimate accomplishment as well as a, uh, a temporary accomplishment. And so that's uh, very much what we want to achieve. But in order to achieve that, we need the support of shamatha. Shamatha is the basis upon which that insight can be found. And shamatha could be compared to a wind, a wind guard for a flame. If you have a flame, like a candle flame, then a gust of wind can blow it out. But if you have a, a windshield... Um, I don't know what the name is in English, a photophore, something that's a protection around it that stops the wind from getting it, getting to it, then that flame can shine and be protected. So if we compare insight to uh, a flame, flame of wisdom, then shamatha is what nurtures it and enables it to shine and to burn away. Please, please. Oh, please, please. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
You're okay. They just look. Please have come to see what we're up to. So then, what is Vipassana? Pramitra will explain it to us in brief. ตาตงโบกะริโซฮะโกเกลานะนารุโซกองเจียนแคนดีงุ่นโทกะเรซิเกเกอเรคะทวากะลาเกเรงุ่นโทเซจิตะกะเรซินะกองเจฮะกวา
तीनवटा देखिए पारे दिने so then first we need to understand something of uh, mahamudra uh, mahamudra itself mm, as an experience or realization is something very profound uh, but at first we can understand at least the meaning of the name itself the term itself mahamudra when we started this text on the very first day when Rinpoche expounded the title of the text, then Mahamudra, Chacha Chempo in um, Tibetan, was the very first term that he developed. And you'll remember that in there there are four syllables and he gave us the meaning of each of the syllables. And if we take it as two terms, two notions, we have Maha, which means great, a mudra, which means in the Tibetan uh, way of doing it, seal. If we focus on this term great, maha, then the meaning of that is absolutely all-encompassing. We can understand that as it applies to, or it covers everything that is inner, and that is outer. It covers everything of samsara and everything of nirvana, which is the process of release from samsara. It covers everything that is of Buddhahood and it covers everything that is of sentient beings. It applies and the sentient beings are those of the six realms. So when we explore all those things, it is very vast indeed, all the things of the six realms and the path and so on. But the point is that Mahamudra is not something specific on its own. It applies to absolutely everything without exception. ま、しょじゃちんぼ So then if we ask the question to an accomplished Mahamudra practitioner such as uh, Milarepa then uh, we say "Ah, are you meditating? You doing Mahamudra meditation? Yes. Or is that meditation on voidness? Then the answer would be Yes, you say, oh, is this the highest view within the Buddha's teaching, that of voidness? Is that what you're meditating on? Then the answer would have to be yes. Mm-hmm. 
Sorry, I made a mistake in that first one. It's the the meanings there, but I made a mistake because um, uh, with the Milarepa. Uh, Milarepa is Mila in Tibetan. Mila means also to a human being or to somebody, to a person. And uh, both of them came up in the same sentence. So then, uh, forget Milarepa, just for a moment. And so then in that first question, if an experienced Mahamudra master asked a meditator, they might ask in the first question, ah, are you doing Mahamudra? Are you doing this practice? Uh, are you doing this, which is the highest view of the Buddha, uh, voidness meditation? And their answer could be, yes, I am. So that's it's pretty, it's the same as what was just there. It's just it's not being asked to Milarepa. It's being asked by an accomplished master to a student who thinks they're practicing Mahamudra. Let's give the game away. But anyway, so it's clear. So they say, are you doing Mahamudra? Yeah, is this the Buddha's highest view? You're meditating on voidness? Yes, I am. It's the first question. Second question, oh, are you meditating on desire? Are you meditating on anger? Are you meditating on ignorance? Are you meditating on negativity? And then if the person might answer, oh no. Ta? Don't go on a shaja chimbo gone, eh? Lay over it. 
So if the meditator answered the meditation master in that way, yes, I'm meditating on voidness, I'm meditating on what Milarepa meditated on, on the Buddha's highest view, but no, I'm not meditating on passion and anger and all those things, then actually the meditator will be mistaken. That isn't Mahamudra. Because as was just described, Mahamudra is all-embracing. It covers all the phenomena of samsara and nirvana. It applies to all of them. Everything that's within, that's without, and so on and so forth. So there the meditator who would have been in his practice in some state of voidness, but not at all having a meditation that is uh, based on passion or anger or those things. It's in some other state of voidness. Although they might be cultivating some of the phenomena that are conducive to nirvana, they're not at all working with the phenomena of samsara, which are passion, anger, all of the defilements, and so on. So we can't call it Mahamudra, because Mahamudra is something that applies to absolutely anything and everything. So then that person who answered in that way, yes, I'm meditating in voidness, no, I'm not meditating on anger and passion, they would have mistaken, they'd be mistaken to think they were practicing Mahamudra. Chu 
Muni in the Tirana. Lila would you go much by Kelseletoni, Yoga Chuchi, the Gonchi, Chido. Then you reo, Marie. Pinano Naro Paragina Mahapenda Nozu, Chitonji Langaniba, Pendata Chori, the Yenayon, Tono, Chodishambo Gomahini Calipe, Mombojani, Tiro Paladian, Nari, Chodishambo Gonchi. よら、なるほど、かじびのたのな。天理しててら、なるほど、ちょろそれ、ラボチがたまちばと、しょじちゃんもごんひ、よそ、ででな。のるでよばれ。ちょっと、ちょろれでよばれ。けに、レドジよじ
Mahamudra is something beyond any notion of there is this particular condition to achieve and there are some things which need to be rejected. Because as the name says, it's Mahamudra. It's this great thing that is relevant to absolutely everything. It's applied to every circumstance of the mind, every movement, every possibility of mind's activity. Mahamudra is the highest way of relating to or being with the mind and it's the highest way and it's not at all easy. It is very, very difficult. If we take the example of Naropa, one of our greatest lineage masters, he was a Mahapandita. He was a great scholar in uh, his university. He was outstanding among all the scholars, among all of the great master scholars. There was nothing he didn't know of the Buddha's teaching. Yet, when it came to his time to understand Mahamudra, even though he had such breadth of learning and meditation experience, when he came to Tilopa to learn, he didn't learn easily. It took 12 years of hardship under Tilopa for that great master of Buddhism to acquire um, total mastery of Mahamudra. He had to go through a lot of difficulty to achieve that. We cannot say that Mahamudra is easy. Um, it requires great and subtle understanding. And if the mechanisms for that are not in place, then actually we can be wasting a lot of time. That wasted time can be, not to put too fine a word on it, rubbish. And uh, because it requires many things. For instance, um, many teachers these days, or in many circumstances, we hear a lot of high-flying uh, ideas about Mahamudra, and then in our shrine room, we say, now we sit for a while in an unfabricated state. So everyone sits down in an unfabricated state, or beyond conceptual complication. But what actually happens? Are people really sitting in a state beyond conceptual fabrication, or are they sitting within a conceptual fabrication which says beyond conceptual fabrication? In other words, are they dwelling in an idea of being beyond ideas? More than likely the case. And as long as there's any idea of good meditation and bad meditation, that, ah, this was smooth, this was quiet, there weren't many thoughts, there was a pleasant experience, a deep experience, a peaceful experience, that was a good meditation, or, so, ah, that was getting close to Mahamudra, and then there's another time when you meditate, the mind's busy and full of neurosis and other things, and you think that was a bad meditation, far away from Mahamudra, then there isn't at all an understanding of what's trying to be uh, accomplished. There is uh, complication, there is fabrication and artifice. And it's not easy to see beyond that. Um, without the real Mahamudra um, that goes 
beyond those notions of good and bad meditation and applies to absolutely everything that occurs in the mind without the pointing out or the introduction to what Mahamudra means through the various circumstances and the Master's blessing, then there will never be this ultimate achievement and accomplishment. And Rinpoche says, please think about these points very deeply about how it's not easy, about how it is all-embracing. ตะนี่เอเรดินาตะมาเรกูงอนโทจิโอปาเรกองจิโอปาเรตะเตตะลาเตียนี่ตะจิเตนดิติโตลาโนนานะมุบุตระโทปาเรตะนี่ตะกา
ตาตาตาเอ๊ะเขาก็ตะเตียนสิเรียนเด้อชั่วตัวนี้จะเรียนมันตัวนี้นะตะนี้เรียนเท่ากันตะยุ่งดีมันดิตีนะมุนี่
even though we know all phenomena about their very nature, shunyata, voidness, we heard it, we read it in the books, we got it in the teachings, our mouth knows it, but does our mind in its very depths know it, really know it, so that when suffering happens and when happiness happens, automatically they're recognized as being just as void as anything else. Not. No, it's not the case. And so this knowing that we accomplish through the ABC of Mahamudra or under Vajrayana is a real knowing of the mind through direct experience far away from those easy-to-say words of voidness and beyond conceptual contrivance. We really need to come to experience these things uh, firsthand. ตาดิเสปังอรสุติเจตุตะคาริเสยโยปาเรลานะเปนะอรสุอ่อจงโกปาปะปลิสุนดาวจีนานีปะชิซอยโยนะตะนีนีปะตะตะการิกาเนว
of the nature of mind. That's what Buddha is. Buddha means that total understanding of the nature of mind. And not to understand the mind in that very direct, first-hand way, uh, with no doubt, means to be an ordinary being. Sankaripa the insight that's going into the mind is what we call vipassana, or that's what it means, deep insight, or literally higher, higher insight. And in the West we have what we call psychology. We have the science of psychology, the uh, Logic, the logos, the knowledge of the psyche, knowledge of the mind. So, vipassana, or this sort of insight, is like the king of psychologies. It's the finest form of psychology. And uh, psychology itself, as a discipline, is very, very interesting. It's very close to this, because what psychology is trying to do is to understand uh, the way in which the mind works. And um, it's particularly adapted to illness of the mind when that causes great anguish. But in general, it is the study of the mind. And uh, Rinpoche says, it's my own opinion. Uh, you, you need to make your own decisions. I don't have that much experience. But amongst other things, one of my students in Taiwan is a teacher of psychology, and we've talked quite a bit about this. But he said to his own mind, he thinks that if one has this deep insight that comes through Vipassana, that comes through Mahamudra, uh, that sort of insight into the mind, then all of the rest of psychology will become very easy because having understood mind from its very deepest and truest nature, then all of the details will flow out from that quite um, automatically. Thank you. So, so now the time is racing by, so we'll leave the formal um, teaching there for this morning and in tomorrow morning session 
then we can carry on with the Vipassana chapter of um, this text. And this gives us a few minutes for questions. If you... Uh-huh. So if there, if there isn't an urgent question, there was something that Rinpoche said he will come back to and that he will come back to now in response to one of the questions. Mm-hmm. Tony, Mani ね、ね、ピシャンで、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、ね、
the peacefully settled mind becomes the basis for developing insight and then that insight can, is something that eventually will be acquired in all circumstances. But when the mind is peacefully settled, once that is peacefully settled, then within that peace, what the insight uh, is, is focused on the mind which is peaceful, the mind which is settled. It's not on the peacefulness itself, that's not important, but this mind which is settled is being investigated to be known. How is it? Where is it? What's it like? Now, when we practice the training, the ABC of insight meditation, then uh, it doesn't matter whether we actually find something that we can, can be expressed or not. It's not a question of finding it or not finding it. It's a question of looking for it and then discovering what happens when you look for it. It's this actual fact of the mind trying to know itself when it's settled, which is the insight. And then as it tries to find, whether it finds or not, or whatever it finds or doesn't find, that very fact of looking gives it a direct experience of itself, which is the working material for then going on and on and on and on in the process of insight. And the analogy for this, very famous one, is the taste of sugar, taste of molasses or sugar. And there, if you've not had the experience, no words can convey it. What you have to do is actually put it on your tongue and then that taste of sugar is directly experienced and that taste is totally intimate. Only you can have it because it's on your tongue. can't be described, can't be shared, but you're directly having it. So like this, this one point here is that the insight is the mind's own experience of itself which starts uh, when the mind is settled because then we have some opportunity to explore it. ตินี่ดิเตะตังอารอซอกองกิติเตะล่ะนี่ปะเกนดิขิกวาเรดิเมตินี่กองกุนดิเมเรดิเมรองกาตาปายอกงยนทอมาจิตินี่ซินะยิน
The settled mind gives us the opportunity for this mind which is settled to start to investigate itself, know itself. Not at all in a discursive way, not at all. It's not the mind thinking about itself. It's the mind vividly aware of itself, directly catching itself, knowing itself on the spot. And so when the mind is quiet and settled, it gives us this first opportunity to say, not to say, to be aware of what is this mind which is settled. Just now in this calmness, in this peace of shamatha, what is it that is peaceful? And we are aware of that directly, observe it directly. Where is it? What is it like? So you have a shape, a color, a place. And we need to actually do that. We need to actually, in that peacefulness, start to cultivate this on-the-spot, direct awareness. This is the training. This is the first letter of the alphabet of insight meditation. And this leads on, just as in shamatha meditation, we have many different types of mind focus, the pebble, the outside one, the inside one. As we develop this insight, there will be many things and many ways of looking at the mind with the mind. And the very first one starts when the mind is settled and within that peacefulness, then that mind which is peaceful is aware of itself to find without asking intellectual questions, just to be vividly aware, where is this? Where is it happening? What is it that is peaceful? And so Rinpoche said, uh, between today and tomorrow, if some of you have a bit of experience with shamatha, and you can have this peaceful settling of the mind, then please, um, if you can do that, within that peaceful settling, just try to let that mind which is peacefully settled know itself, where it is, how it is, then this will be the step for going forward. And this is so different from all the words which tell us the mind is like this, the mind is void, the mind is beyond conceptual fabrication. That's just ideas. We need to forget that, and now it's the very real, on-the-spot investigation. Mm-hmm. We've got two or three minutes. Maybe that's time for a question. <laughs> Sounds optimistic, but yeah. So, uh, Uh, the 
Lampong Cup, Michela, then a control yena, then a controller comes for carare. Tata Nibate, Yapuji, Chakidotini, Sony, Noni, Kale, 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 Kalezo, Nipan, Jimaka, Ketareta. This is coming, coming soon to a shrine room near you. And now, what Trimche says is, if you do what he just described, this is the first step. And then what we'll see in the days to come is that from that first step, then we go on and we go on. And then using anger and the emotions uh, comes later. If we haven't got on top of this first step of insight meditation just described, then there is no way that we'll be able to go on to work with the anger. If we have practiced well this first step, then dealing with anger will be no problem. Come back to the analogy of learning the alphabet, and then once you've got the alphabet, then putting the word, the letters together, and the words and the ideas comes naturally. If somebody's not got the alphabet, then how can they do the other things? So this very first thing of the mind being aware of itself when it's peacefully settled uh, needs to be well done uh, first. Oh, no. 